And that's also an indicator to me that the bug I've stumbled onto, I've been doing something seriously wrong. If there's questions about it from 2013, especially if they're not answered, I'm like, what the heck? How did I find myself in this corner? Or when you go, when you have a problem that you search for and there's like one Stack Overflow page about it, and you're like, ooh, I really have done something weird. No, the worst is when you do a search for something and you find that single post about the problem and it's yours from like seven years ago <laughs> and it's still unanswered and you're like oh, i never no. followed up on this oh, no. that means i figured it out oh, what no. did i figure out <laughs> oh no So JT, something's been on my mind. I know that we said that a couple episodes ago, but uh, once again, something else is on my mind. Okay. I was trying to find the temperature for yesterday, mm -hmm. and I actually had a hard time finding it. So there's a thousand ways to so go look up the temperature right mm -hmm. now. And heck, it's like all over your phone. And there's a hundred websites that are all kind of aggregating data, data from people that have uploaded their temperature data, whatever those weather stations. But it's actually quite a bit more difficult to find yesterday's temperature or the temperature from last year the same mm -hmm. day. And that's useful for comparison purposes. So I know it's out there and I know people are building statistical models using this data. But I don't know how much of that is accessible to the random person. Perhaps uh, like weather organizations or institutions are keeping that data. They're not publishing it in the same with the same gusto as you find like right now, or at least the, the forecast for the next 18 hours or whatever, that's really readily available. And it kind of made me think about, well, this is really true of a lot of data. There's a temporal element for that we don't really account. For instance, I can go on Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever mapping software I want. I can plot directions to a location and it'll give me nice turn-by-turn -turn directions. If the place no longer exists, like in Google, it'll, it'll still keep the record of this used to be here and it'll give you directions to it, but it'll, it'll mark in there that this place is permanently closed. And if something else has moved into that same facility, well, then that old record is now gone completely. So I can't route myself to that awesome place that was in the suburb over that I really like to go to. I can't, I can't find my way there. First of all, it's gone. And second of all, even if it was... If, if I had the record for it, I would need to know the exact address. So I'm sure that could be found. I could go dig up in public records and find it. But it seems like there's a, there's a temporal element to a lot of the data that we're collecting and exposing. And I wish that we would have a better understanding of. I wish we would have a better handle on. Like, I, I would like to be able to, uh, like a slider in Google Maps or like in satellite data. I would like to be able to look at what was it, the location where my house is right now 20 years ago? Because they were capturing satellite data back in 2001. It was every so often, it was not very good. I'm sure this is accessible somewhere, but I don't know where to go to get that. Or like, I want to know what was the assessment of all the houses in the neighborhood 15 years ago. You can go to the county and look it up, but it's not and a lot of places is not readily accessible online. So this is just a couple of examples of like, there's an element to data that's not just 
right now, this is the current state of things. This this uh this kind of came up at work recently, where I had been keeping copies of of the internal horizon of our DNS or of our domain name. Someone had unfortunately put a whole lot of excess records in there, and suddenly everything became a lot slower. And I was trying to figure out well, when did this happen? And it just so happened that I could narrow it down to a period of about five days. Because I had a script that would every so often go and pull the most recent copy of the entire domain and just keep it. You know, it's a little bit of text. It doesn't take a lot of space. And it actually ended up saving us because we could go back and find what was the process that went haywire and actually we could undo it because I had this temporal data involved. So it seems like there's quite a lot of need for this and it's not really ever discussed or it's not really considered. It is in some places like archive.org. You know, you can go look at past copies of a website. And that's super useful. I actually like to go to, well, not like news aggregation sites, but if I go uh, look up a topic and I find some web page on some uh, university site that uh, gives me great detail, and I'm curious, well, how has it evolved over time? I like to go back and look at what was it like two years ago. Four years ago, the guy who posted it wasn't in that university, so it doesn't exist. And it just kind of gives me a lot more information about this person. And I, I kind of like that. But, um, or, or, for instance, when we're looking up help files, it's really important to know the date that the help file is from, or like message boards. If I look up some obscure something in Python and I get a response that's from 2013, odds are it's not very relevant to what I'm doing. They were just now putting out, or just then putting out Python 3 or threatening to, and well, everything was very two-centric. So nowadays we don't use to anymore. It's obsolete. So the answer that I get in something from 2013 doesn't benefit me in 2021. So web boards, it's very easy to see, but some other random help pages, I've run into problems where there's no data on there, and it's information that I'm sure was relevant at the time, but I can no longer tell is it relevant to me. So all this is to ask a question, what is the, um, well, two questions, I guess. What is the obligation of someone who's publishing data like this to, um, gosh, what's a good way to put this? What is the obligation for someone to track the changes of their data that they've published over time. Maybe it's a good way to put it. Let's just start with that one. We'll go ahead and say the next one. Too, give you a chance so to respond. I can make a note to myself. Oh. So we don't forget. Okay. Right. Well, I just forgot it. <laughs> That's you should have asked me a question. You should have just said it. Okay. I should have just said so, it. You're right. It'll come to me later. So there's a couple things, first of all. Um, to, right? to answer your immediate question of... What is the obligation of the person publishing the data to track changes over time? I would say none. Really? I, no, I don't think they have an obligation to continue to provide data that they have provided in the past. Okay. Should they? Yes, absolutely. Do they have an obligation to? I would say no. Now, maybe that's because okay. of the that's definition fair. for obligation that I have. Um, but... If you put something out there on a blog, let's say you're doing some DevOpsy stuff and you, you're, you've got a blog where you're taking notes. Actually, perfect reference. Um, Dan uh, Lynn Jill from FreeBSD. He has the FreeBSD diary that started out as a blog of him just anytime he did something, he would make notes of it and post it for himself and for others. So Dan has done this for right. years. Now, Dan keeps everything up because Dan's a great guy. Does does me needing the fact that he posted something five years ago mean he has a requirement that he has to keep it up? Well, I would say no, he doesn't. 
he, he it's a good thing for him to do it, but it's not like a demand that because he once published it, he must forever continue to publish it. So th- there's that. However, to go back to what you, some of the examples that you gave with the weather, uh, Noah keeps all that information and it's all available. Now it's not as readily available as what the weather tomorrow is going to be, but that's a simple result of more people care about what the weather is going to be tomorrow than what the weather was yesterday because they probably were alive yesterday to remember. (laughs) So unless, (laughs) unless you need the data to actually do something with, it doesn't need to be on the front page, but it's Noah, it's government. It's all public. You can get access to it. It's just not easy on the issue of when you were talking about satellite imagery, actually Google does keep it and you can go back through it. Um, Now I can't remember. I, I think it, might only work with Google Earth and not Google Maps. Oh, that's why. I'm okay. not I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm like 90% sure because I know with with my property and dealing with working with the town on different things. I've gone to the town office and the town clerk has pulled up the Google data and then switched back years on the satellite imagery to show how the property has changed since I oh. think I think it was like sometime in the late 90s was the first satellite data that google had for this place because i'm not in a city so obviously the imagery doesn't go back as far right so like again it's available it's not front and foremost like you just don't open it and boom there it is historical data click here again i think that's a result of the fact that people are not actively looking for that data so it's not given front and center because you also have to keep in mind Today's web design attitude is the page needs to be blank. Remove everything from the page so there's one button somebody can hit. Hide everything. So when that's kind of the mentality of the people who are designing these sites and these places, uh, yeah, don't expect that they're going to put historical data, which is something most people don't want, on the front page. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. However, I do hear what you're saying. And I think the matter in most situations is the exposing the historical data is not obvious and you have to go digging for it. Okay. And I think that's a little different than the topic of archive because archive is specifically just trying to archive sites. Right. Yeah. They don't really care. Like, for instance, when we're talking about NOAA, um, NOAA keeps all that data because they actually use it. Google Earth keeps all that data satellite imagery because it's, they use it for something. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of sites like you take, uh, you know, Facebook and all them, you know, you can delete data yourself out of your account. They don't delete it. They keep it. It's archived. Right. It's they history. flag it as right. deleted because yeah. they, that's data that they can then work on. So a lot of service providers in that kind of social media and web services area like Amazon, uh, they're probably keeping everything just because it's cheap and because it allows them to build bigger data sets with more data. But again, that's yeah. not information that they're providing anyone else. That's just stuff they're keeping. Right. So it seems like you would have to deliberately design into the the storage facility or the, the structs that you're putting the data in. There's a, it's easy to just put a date field in and that's not enough. Um, I think if if you are 
cognizant of the fact that this this data I've collected has a shelf life, or this data I've collected is only good for this date, you would be more aware, and you could maybe. I know that the web designers are, are going for the blank pages, a big empty open space, yada, yada, whatever. But to have like a little slider up top, I guess that's what I was wishing for. I find myself on my little, on my app, when I click on the weather, it actually takes me to a page, right? And I wish somewhere at the top, I could say, pick the, you know, the last seven days or the last 14 days or something like that. And I want it to, I guess what I'm wanting in a perfect world, the same exact interface, which is giving me today's data, just pretend like it's yesterday and show me what it would have been like from yesterday. I don't know that they've got that data handy, frankly. Oh, I don't know that they would I'm, be I'm sure it. they do. But again, how many people actually want that to then justify the web development into not just developing it, but then maintaining it as the rest of the site around it evolves? Right, yeah. It seems to get a lot of effort to do that for not many people care yeah. about it, I guess. But it's sort of so useful, it is, though. But it's also a difficult problem. Because let me, let me give you an example. The, uh, the Kubernetes documentation site is actually versioned. Mm -hmm. So when you go there, up in the top corner, you can hit a button and it'll sh drop down. And it'll show all the version numbers and you can click on it and then it'll show you the Kubernetes documentation for that version. Okay, sounds great. Except the way they're doing it isn't actually very elegant. So the way it works is it's a branch in the Git repo that is hosted on a server somewhere. Now, of course, because it's Google and they have a couple servers sitting around, Three or four. Anytime yeah. that there is uh, a, or was a, a new version that came out, they would just spin up a new instance of the website somewhere else in, in, the, in, the, in the cloud and then point the site to then build onto that one. So all the other sites, the full site is still out there being hosted on a completely separate server than the current one. They just keep adding another instance anytime there's a new version. So... It works. Again, it's not really elegant because that effectively means that you have it spanning probably a dozen servers at this point for all the different versions. Right. And, you know, one version might just go offline because the server's getting updated or whatever, and just that version of the documentation is gone for the time being. Right. It works, but... Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's... there's I, I had the thought, too. Like, I'm used to... We commit code. There's a date stamp you know, committer date, author date, whatever. So I can intrinsically go back and find out this commit was done in this time. And if you use that for your documentation, or if you just use, um, you're committing your random data, a lot of people now are, are putting their websites, they're, they're just Git repositories, which I like that very much because you intrinsically have, this is what the site looked like at this point in time. I also like that you can blame who put what in. So when he, someone posts something that breaks the site, you can be like, hey, Carl, that was not a good idea. I wish you hadn't done yeah. that. We're going to revert that But the thing. thing is, is on those sites, for instance, the Lumina desktop, the website is actually just a GitHub page. Right. You can go into the GitHub repo for the Lumina desktop website and see the old versions, but you can't see the old versions on the website because obviously the website okay. is the latest build of the current sources. So any right. older builds, they're still available in the repo, but they're not accessible via the website. Makes sense. Okay. Ansible does this too. Like in the top left, they're very good about this. The same thing as Kubernetes. Well, I don't know if it's the same thing, but they have different versions, whatever versions of Ansible they're maintaining. Like they probably have 2.11, they've got a 2.12. And then because Red Hat made 2.9 a long-term release, that's going to be around for another couple of years. So you can always use, you always have 2.9. And then they have a, a, a sim link effectively. The latest points to whatever the latest version is, which I think is a good way to do it. 
you're not specifically denoting a point in time. I guess I guess you would just assume that there is a point in time for each release. But I, I know within 2.9, there's been some evolutions. And there's no way to see if this document really has changed between first release of 2.9 and modern 2.9. Because I know there's been some bug fixes, stuff like that. I don't know how useful that data is, but I would like the ability to go find it. And I would like for, I guess what I'm asking for, if I'm really honest, is I want uh, publishers of data to do all the legwork so I don't have to work hard to go find what things like used to be like. I'll be honest. Yeah, that's what I want. And when you've got a limited budget and limited people and limited skill or capacity to make a thing, you're not going to be doing that. You're going to pri prioritize minimum viable product or whatever. I get that. I guess I started becoming more aware of this about five or six years ago when I was looking into my notes and I'm like, when did I write these? How relevant is this? I don't, I didn't remember. Like I have, I've got this notebook. I have a rough idea of, well, this came before that because it's later or it's earlier in the notebook, but nothing past that. So I started, whenever I was starting to know it, I'd just write a date on there. And almost immediately I recognized, wow, that was really useful. So then I started doing that for things I'd buy. Like toiletries mostly, because I don't know, how old is this shampoo? Well, it says I got it in August 2020. I guess it's still good. Not that shampoo goes bad, but it just, you know, it seemed silly at first, but I was, I realized I was getting a lot of data. Like how often am I using shampoo? How often do I go through it? I was getting a lot of additional information about something that normally wouldn't matter, but it was, it was actually really useful. You know, so it actually changed my buying habits, knowing how long things were lasting. I wouldn't buy so much of this thing. And then I started recognizing the things that I was using a whole lot of without and meaning to or without recognizing it. Like I'm going through bar soap really fast. Why is that? That kind of stuff. Silly things like that. So I started adding at least tags to my data. And I've, I've always, I've gotten to the habit now, if I go look for help on something, if I, if I Google for this particular module of Python and someone's got some helpful something on it. I immediately look at the date and I get really mad at pages that don't have a date, a published date. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of change in the last, well, I don't say in the last three years, but the turmoil and the, and the obsoleting or the end of lifing of 2.7 and okay, all of you have to be on 3.0. There was just so much consternation over that. There's people that hung on to 2.7 past EOL. They just refused to move. You know, some of the tools that I use, I think we mentioned it in a past episode, some of the tools I used wouldn't move on. And I was very upset about them. So I guess I'm, I discriminate against, I guess I'll call them publishers, data publishers that don't at least give me a timestamp. And ideally something searchable that lets me search by date. That's another thing that it's really infuriating. You would think that certain chat programs, you would think there would be some way to search history. You know, the search, I can go scroll up in my chat history and I can see what happened before. But, uh, like, I, for instance, what comes to mind is that searching in Slack for something that happened between certain dates is actually really not trivial for reasons that are not. Searching in Slack in general is just an absolute dumpster fire. Because, like, yeah, you're, you're right, in a, you're right. a private message with somebody and you want to search back for something, like, that's the intuitive thing. Oh, I need to find something that you know, I said to them or they said to me, let me search real quick. Oh no, I'm searching all of Slack right now because that's what right. I wanted to do yeah. is search all 300 channels I'm in. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think back to my heavy IRC days and I just had logging turned on for everything and it was trivial. I had it sorted by year, month, date. So I could just go fine. I think it's roughly here. So I'll go into this month and just grab all the files because they're all text, right? And it was trivial for me to find things. 
a reference. So for IRC, I actually used to use uh, the IRC client KVerk, and they actually had an integrated oh. log viewer and searcher in the program. Oh, I like so that. So that was just like you yeah. would go up to the top, you click the menu, you click log, it would open up a window inside your, you know, the, the UI, and it would have all the servers and all the private messages and all the channels and all that stuff. And you could just search for a query and then it would go through everything and be like, here is that word in every server, channel, private message, and right. everything. And you just go click, 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 click. And the nice thing was is because when you would click on it, it would then highlight that and bring it into view. But then you could see the context around it as well. Yeah, that's super yeah. useful. Oh gosh, that uh, that sounds. Marvelous. I used that for so long for that feature alone. Because yeah, I can grep, but then it's like I grep and then I need to okay, let me go open the file because I need to see what the context is around that single line that that came back and dash c five. Right, but if I'm searching something and I know that word is going to show up sixteen hundred times. And I just need to kind of narrow it down to then select where I go. Well, no, because then I'm going to be hitting space bar because I'm going to have to do, you know, pipe it to more so okay, that I can fair. see everything. Right. And now I'm sitting there for five minutes hitting more to try to find the entry that I need because everything is doing extra lines. Yes, yes. What a hardship. Yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. Uh, KVerk made it super easy to think mm -hmm. about all that. So that's, that's a, an example of a program doing it well. I've fought so many times. You, you can type in. First of all, the, the syntax for Slack search is a little opaque. I know there's a little help file, but it doesn't seem like it gives you some really helpful examples, but it doesn't really show you everything you need to know. So if I like, I'm trying to figure out how do I set the date before and after? Like I actually know it happens roughly on this day, but I don't know where, I don't know what in channel I saw this, but I remember it happened two weeks ago on Thursday. Well, setting it up, you have to do before the date after and after the date before it. And it's just like, it's not intuitive. Can I just, just, can I just tell you on? Would that be right. easier, like on this day? I think but I no, think the people no. that designed the Slack search query were looked at Jira's search capabilities and how it works, <laughs> and thought, "Hold on, can we can we take this and then somehow make it worse?" <laughs> yeah, Jira's because somehow really Slack managed to do that. I, I don't know how, but they did. Yeah. Side note, Jira, you cannot find fragments of words except if they start at the beginning. You can only only search at the beginning. And I cannot tell you how many times that has bit me. I just, I just, I know I'm looking for some server, but they all, all our servers start with the same, you know, three or four character sigils. So that doesn't help me when I'm looking for the actual later text and so I can't. You want to know okay. the secret of how I search Jira? You don't? I go to my Gmail client and then I put in the search string that I want. <laughs> <laughs> and then it comes back and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the ticket number. And then I copy and paste that into Jira. Right. That's yeah. that's how I well, search that's, Jira. That's that's kind of crazy. So examples of this is that seems like a very useful. You need to know when something was said or or you need to find the context of it. So chat chat programs are, are relatively straightforward. I'm thinking about something. It's like I, I found myself watching Iron one of the Iron Man movies recently, and uh there's the AI that works with him. Mm -hmm. Jarvis, I think is his name. And he just seems to have a handle on everything and he can just like pull everything out. And I had the thought, I wonder how much he's capturing at any moment in time and how long does he keep it for? So, cause he, he seemed to be able to say like something's going to be, you know, I've got a call, I've scheduled something for eight o'clock or the last time he did this was two days ago or you haven't slept for 72 hours. And this, the only way he could be saying these things if he had this data and he could go back and kind of put it together and think, gosh, that's kind of. A lot of data he must be well, keeping. Well, that's, that's because it, it's a movie, 
And yes, I get that. It's a Deus Ex Machina. Like that's that's what you've got going on there. I recognize that, but I, my mind drifted to how would you actually pull that off? It's actually it's not a terrible thought experiment. I guess it's a movie. I get it, but I just had the thought. Well, there is supposed to be like petabytes of data sitting around in server somewhere in his house, and in various movies, his house gets blown up. I think twice. I'm thinking, gosh, he's lost a lot of data, hasn't he? <laughs> well, I'm sure he's got a Poor good guy. backup solution. Probably so. Yeah, probably so. All over the world. Because, uh, yeah, it's a movie. He can do whatever he wants, right? He can just take over a screen. Yeah, the writers will just write it in. And, oh, yeah, that's Not how nothing. it happened. Yep, over here. This is, I need this, therefore, there it is, you know? So, if I'm hearing you correctly, you basically want to version control everything. I guess. That's a, that's a, that's a good place to start. I want to version control everything. Okay. That's a, that is a good place to start when it starts with everything. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a lot of data. And I, I don't know how to pay for it all. I mean, even in cloud, in the in the days of cloud storage, it's just, it's not literally endless, but it's figuratively endless cloud storage. I still think that they're, they're storing every record for all the time, it's going to take too much data. And, and we just, um, let's say that the human mind is not ready for all that. So the only way that this becomes possible is if we specifically have algorithms set aside to do this work for us. And they would have to be intrinsically understanding whatever data they're looking at. For for text fields like in Jira, let's go back no, and pick no, on no, Jira. No, no, no. You actually you actually don't need to do that, Jeff. Okay. Because all you need to do is just effectively everything would have to be a database, which that is like the most horrific thing I think I've said in like yeah. a month. <laughs> um, so that nothing is ever changed. There's always just a new thing added that then reflects back that the prior thing is different. I mean, we've done this with file systems. That's what ZFS does. ZFS you, does. You're never new. overwriting the old data. You're writing. A new bit that then when the file is read it reads down through the file and it goes oh this part's changed get that from over here and and then it moves on yep um which is how in lumina we have the capability to inside your file browser to scroll backwards in time mm -hmm. that's so super if, useful. if you have snapshots and you have something that you deleted and then a month from now you're like oh crap i need that file that i deleted Oh, you just click on the little slide bar and just drag it back. Oh, there's the file. Let me get it. I want that for Wikipedia. And I know you can go into history on Wikipedia, but I would like to just be able to drag like date temporal or, or maps. I want like we started the conversation talking about maps. I want it on maps. I want to be able to look at a week ago. What was the traffic like a week ago? I mean, I know they're keeping it because they're creating like Google will give you an estimate of how long it thinks. And you can tell it, well, I'm actually going to be leaving at uh, 730 a.m. tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Not right now. And it'll give you an estimate of what it's going to be like based upon the traffic to serve. Clearly, the data is there. Can I get to it directly? No, probably not. Because they, in order for them to be able to do their work on it, they have to aggregate it and they got to do their, they got to put in a format that's acceptable for them to be able to compute all that stuff. But I don't think end users have access to it. So foolishly, selfishly, I want that. Right. But also you have to realize that that's, that's data that they've collected and aggregated and built and saved and all that. That's, they consider that their intellectual property. And that's why they kind of have some guard over it because they just don't want to have an API that's wide open for everyone to get it because then okay. they, there's, not, there's nothing that they can offer that the next guy can't offer too. They'll have a lot of things available in their right. API, but they're going to keep some things for them themselves. I guess that's where openness really steps in in the middle. Like someone who's committing to some kind of open data standard where the, all the records you've ever collected for a thing will always be available. Maybe. Is there any standards like that that you know of or any guidelines that someone could be building a program to? Yeah, so there are 
open data standards. It, it's always been something I've meant to look into more that I just never have because I just haven't had the free time. And it's it's always been just on the periphery, like, oh, that that would be interesting to know. But but then I don't. In a conversation that I had with the CTO of uh, Minds.com, Mark Harding, we talked about briefly on algorithms and stuff like that. And the the way that the algorithms are being run on the data, there, there's a limit to being able to provide that data for everyone to then rebuild those algorithms to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing because you have a lot of privacy issues around the data itself because of the identifiers that's there and all of those things. And even if you strip out somebody's name, it doesn't really matter. With enough information, you can still narrow down. There was a, I think it was a New York Times journalist or maybe not, maybe it was Washington Post, but there was some journalist back in, I think it was the mid 2000s that one of the big search engines at the time, I think it was Yahoo, which should tell you, or maybe it was AOL. That should tell you when it was. <laughs> yeah. They released, Just dated yourself. they released anonymized search history for a whole bunch of people. And a journalist was able to like in a week, find the exact person that this account was just based on their search history and their search queries. Wow. Ooh, that's, that's. Mm, so you yeah. run into that issue of, you know, with, with open data of what can you actually put out there? Because once it's out there, it's out there and there's the whole privacy aspect and you have like European law with the right to forget. How does that come into play? So it's, there's a lot of moving parts there yep. and yep. I don't really know where the chip should fall and how that should be worked out. Yes. If I put in, if I'm putting on my practicality hat and I take off my idealistic hat for a brief moment, I know scary, but uh, I'm thinking about data evolves our way of keeping data. So even if we're putting everything into a database and let's say every, every datum has a timestamp attached to it. Well, the, the definitions of that data are going to evolve over time as we improve our algorithm or as we improve this feature or we add that feature. Now we need a new column. Now we need to do this. So the data, what, what I've seen happen typically is all the old data gets updated with the new column whether it uses it or not, whether it's meaningful or not. And sometimes it ends up being meaningful, sometimes it doesn't. But you're, you're changing the nature of how the data was stored in the past to make sure it can be used with the modern algorithm. So it almost seems like you have an obligation. If you're trying to do this idealistic, everything is always available, you almost have to publish. This data goes with that iteration of the algorithm. This data over here is newer and it goes with this iteration of the algorithm. Because now you're not just committing to releasing the data, you're committing to releasing what was manipulating the data, what was in interfacing with the data. And now if I take that a step farther, I'm thinking, well, that's terrible because you got security things. You're always discovering security problems in your stuff. Ideally you don't, but let's be honest, everybody's going to be writing stuff and it's going to have security mm -hmm. something in it. So if you leave your old algorithms up with the old data in there, you're effectively saying, well, whatever security things we found, we've made a commitment. We're not going to adjust the old data. So I guess you could still go do it. And that doesn't strike me as particularly useful. So I guess all that is to say, I want what I can't have. <laughs> Just to put it succinctly, I, I know that it's not realistic for me to, to want this, but I, I certainly would love to be able to uh, be able to see the timestamp on every bit of data. And there's a lot of times also where people or organizations that are committing to publishing data from the past, they don't always give it to you in the form it was originally kept because they keep it in some archived compressed format. And then they'll just let you have access to that and you can do with it as you wish. You could probably 
pull it out and reorganize it into what the data was like originally, if you need to. But I, I guess um, uh, there's n- you just want everyone to do all I, the work. I, I, for I'm you. trying. I'm trying not to conclude that. I'm like trying to I'm desperately. Like I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, I am. But I think that's where we are. Yeah, like. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like hammer no, on you. No, no, this is realistic. Yeah, this you is... want you want them to deliver the data in the format you yeah. want, the way you want in an easy to consume Yeah, system. yeah, like, I guess I do. That's not that's not asking yeah. much, is it? For everything uh-huh. all the time. No, it's just asking it's just asking everything. for everything. Yeah, yeah, I know. Stop what you're doing and make it so I can search your stuff, you know? Yeah, on the dates thing, like that is critically important for something like Stack Overflow. Yeah. When you're searching, because like the first thing I do when I open a, a page is what is the mm-hmm. date? Like what year was this? Oh, this was written in 2013. Nope. nope. Go back. Like not even once. Not even going to read it. And that's also an indicator to me that the bug I've stumbled onto, I've been doing something seriously wrong. If there's questions about it from 2013, especially if they're not answered, I'm like, what the heck? How did I find myself in this corner? Or when you go, when you have a problem that you search for and there's like one Stack Overflow page about it, and you're like, ooh. I really have done something weird. No, the worst is when you do a search for something and you find that single post about the problem and it's yours from like seven years ago. (laughs) And it's still unanswered and you're like, I never followed up on this. That means I figured it out. What did I figure out? (laughs) Oh, no. I don't think that's ever happened to me, but then I, I tend not to, uh, I'm almost always I'm moving too fast for me to just like want to stop and have this asynchronous conversation over the span of a couple of days to get an answer to something. Thankfully, there's a lot of people that do want to do that. And I just kind of piggyback on their hard work. Um, so again, you want other people to do the work. Uh, yeah, no, listen, I'm not really looking good in this episode, am I? But uh, I want well, what let I me, want. Let me, yeah, let me uh, throw another kink into the equation. Oh, okay. Um, and that is... The other thing that you're talking on has to do with ownership and copyrights. Because, okay, well, we use Dan for an example for his uh, FreeBSD Diary blog. So Dan owns everything he's put out there. He owns the copyright. He possesses it. It's it's his material that he has created and put out there. Now, he's sharing it with us because he's a nice guy. But if everything is versioned and everything is available at all times, that means... Dan technically no longer has control over the data he has created Mm. after he releases it. Because at that point, it has to be available for all time. And I think this kind of goes back to that initial obligation thing that we started with. And I think that's where I hit and I go, okay, hold on a second. No, I don't like that. Because that means that like, once you put a thing publicly, even if, you know, you're not releasing it under a full open license and creative commons and allowing everyone to use it, even if you're not doing that, the moment you put something out, then you would then never be able to pull that back. And I don't know if that's a direction I would like things. to Yeah, go. no, I've published some content and yeah, I don't think I would like that either. That I guess I, I'm really it's, it's unrealistic, first of all. Second of all, it's expecting entirely too much effort for what little there's practically no profitability in what I'm asking for. It's a drain on resources that could be putting towards something that is profitable. And then as the content creator, I'm thinking, gosh, I'm kind of embarrassed about some of the stuff I wrote 20 years ago, like some of the help files and some of the the, the stuff that I had published about things. Uh, I would like for them to just never be seen, you know? That's not an incentive for you guys that are listening to go out and find my stuff. I don't think it's out there anymore. 
But uh, I have always been kind of helping and trying to write stuff and help files and examples more than anything. So I guess mm, I, 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 I still want it. I'm trying, I've now got this kind of fight in me, like, it's not realistic, stop wanting this. And the other person says, but it's so useful, I want it anyway. I want it now, so I can't really reconcile that. Okay, well, let's, let's bring the weather thing Okay. Back. How useful is it for you to be able to get yesterday's weather? Like, seriously, how many times a year do you need to know yesterday's weather? I have wanted that about 15 times this year alone. I think I'm above average on that. Okay. So, like, I, I know that yesterday was hot, but how hot was it? How humid did it get? What was the peak humidity? Or what was the humidity like at 3 p.m. three days ago? Because it certainly feels like it's really, really humid now, and I'm trying to gauge what was my sense of humidity three days ago. How off was it? So, I, this is data that I would like to know because I, I'm, I'm personally interested because I'm doing pattern tracking. How accurate is my assessment of the current weather? Weather is a special domain here because... There, there is inherently a temporal element to it, as opposed to some of the other stuff we've talked about. But a lot of it is down to, boy, it feels really hot today. How accurate is that feeling? And I have the only thing I have to go on was, well, I felt this way three days ago, so I need to go check on that. And I would like that to be readily available. And it is uh, in certain places. So maybe what I just need to do is these things, especially for weather data, I just need to go ahead and do the legwork and to figure out where is that data published? Ideally, it's some place that collects not just the official weather stations, but also some of the unofficial data where people have popped up their own personal weather plants or, or, or sources, whatever that is. Because, you know, a lot of uh, weather aggregation services now are combining what the official records are from the aviation sources with the people filling in the gaps so they get better, more targeting, I guess. So, like there's a there's a guy in the neighborhood over from me that's been publishing weather data for the last eight years or something. So in general, when I when I try and do locality search, I get his data, and it's really accurate because he's one neighborhood over. I guess I just need to go find somewhere that's got that particular data published ahead of time, and I don't think it'd be that hard to find. Or maybe I just need to start keeping it myself, if it's uh, not in the format I like. Yeah, or maybe you should just go to Weather Underground, and. Uh... You know, get the data. Really? And search Is for that it. that easy? Yeah. Wunderground.com. Oh. Slash history. That's embarrassing. You can put in your zip code and choose the date and then click the blue view button. And there's there your data. There it is. That's really embarrassing. Wow. Okay. So we're just going to kind of throw this whole episode in the trap. No, we're not. No. There's, there's, there's important thoughts in here. Maybe. I don't know. But this is good to have. I'm actually, I'm, I'm pleased to see this because now I can go and prove that I was terrible in my assessment of what the conditions were three days ago. Usually what it's like, it just, it feels the same, but it, I can look at the data and I don't remember that being that humid. Mm -hmm. Part of this also is that I've got a pretty poor memory, so I can't actually remember the numbers that I saw three days ago. That's another bit of it too. I guess I'm using, I'm using this as an extension of my crappy memory, really. Uh, I'm, I'm augmenting what I can't remember with something that's very good at remembering. So now I have this tool for weather data. Does it let me search for, uh, I'm just going to put in my uh, zip code and see if you can find that guy. I actually thought you would have known of that one because that one's one that has been scripted a lot with um, IRC clients so that people can do that in the chat. And then I thought you would have seen that. Actually, this does sound very familiar. I think I might've run into this before. See, look, I, I put in my, oh, there it is. It was just slow to load. Never mind. I put in my zip code and then it went back three days. 
And at first it said, there's no data. I'm like, see, haha. And then it loaded. It's like, oh, I guess that was the <laughs> default. That's, that's it. It puts that up first and then it loads your data after the fact. So, wow, look at this. It's got, yeah, it's got the precipitation. It's got like wind speed. Gosh, it's got everything here. Wow. Okay. So I guess I have, uh, I've gotten what I wanted on weather data. So excellent. Look at, look, look at what I made happen. See, look at this. Because I asked the question, this data has now appeared. I just need to ask more questions like that, right? That's how this works? Apparently. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Let's see, what else can I ask that I would really want? That, that's a dangerous road to go down. Let's not go down that road. So you, you want to go off on a, just a wild tangent of something? Of course I do. This is the opinion dominion. That's what we do, right? Let's go for it. Okay, so just a confession to everyone. We are using Google Meet to talk back and forth to each other so we can see each other. So Jeff, if you actually click on down in the bottom, you'll see the little CC thing and you click on that, you will get real-time subtitles of our conversation. Oh, no. Because that is how good the Google's voice algorithm is. And it will determine who's saying what based on which direction it's going. I'm seeing it. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, it's, is okay, it? wow. So it's giving me, like, what I'm saying and what you're saying and if we talk over each other, it's doing both at the same time. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful and also now, here's alarming. here's the question. The reason I bring this up is because we're talking about data. And that is, I don't know, like I can see that data right now. I don't know if I can get the transcript of our conversation after this call ends. Hmm. Which would actually be very, very oh, useful. Oh, yes, it would. Yes, it would. Wow. Okay. Now I've got but to find that feature. I don't, I don't know. Like, is, is that something that, that I can, like, there's no button around here for, you know, download captions. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I can open the chat, but that's not it. I think it's time for us to re reverse engineer Google meet, like what services it's using and let's go see what we can query. Well, it's, and... it's, use, it's using their Google, uh, voice. Okay, right. But it's making queries of something and it's getting, it's got to have some kind of like live cause it's everything I say, it's giving me my words back in like half a second or maybe a second. So it's got some open connection to something. Well, that's really kind of creepy. I'll be honest. It's got some open connections. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to turn that off now because it's kind of worrying me. Uh, there. Out of sight, out of mind, right? So we could probably look at what queries are it making? What is it going to? No, I can tell you. It's going to Google's voice service that does just this. So could I give it a random feed and it would do the same thing? Or is it only... Yeah, you, could, you can do it on an Android phone. Okay. Anytime you do OK Google and then you start searching for something, you speak for it to search, it's using that service. Right. Anytime you use the voice to keyboard voice to text on your Android phone for the keyboard, it's using that I get service. That. But I'm, I'm saying, can I feed it arbitrary data? Like, I want to use it for my own ends. Like, could I feed it the entirety of an episode of our podcast and have it come out with a reasonably good quality transcript? Because that would be very useful, so, too. I don't think they have it publicly available like that. Okay. But you can, however, do it with uh, Google Docs. Okay. You can do voice transcription in a Chrome browser with your microphone huh. and then it will transcribe. So all you have to do is just change your input to your actual source audio source with some little, you know, I'd plug and play, play connection fun, ah. play it back into the Chrome browser and then it will do transcription. Okay. I've done that before on that's really cool, but it's yeah. kind of an obtuse way to do it. Well, that's going into the back door, but I'm going to try that because I think it'd be useful for us to have transcript of our, of our episodes for searchability purposes. Like we're talking about, yeah. It's funny you bring that oh, up because boy. I was actually just thinking the other day 
What episode was it that Jeff first brought up talking about shenanigans? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's some uh, sharp memory listener who could tell us pretty quickly, but I think uh, I would like to have, in addition to the sharp memory listener, I would like to have a searchable database. So I might actually uh, play around with that and try and get us some transcripts. And of course, I would, because I feel very strongly about this kind of thing, I would make the data open. I don't know if Firesign or Fireside supports that or not. We may have to put it up somewhere else. That seems... Um, I don't know if they support transcripts or not because they primarily just focus on audio. Uh, however, I need to get back into posting them on YouTube and then I can just load the transcript file. But then that's going to use a different formatting because you have to put time, time codes, codes in as well. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We can, yeah, we can well, we'll figure, figure that out. out. That's something uh, that seems very useful and an application of what I'm asking for. If, I, if I'm expecting every other content producer to do this, then I guess kind of we have an obligation to do it too, don't we? You know, yeah. yeah, because like I was thinking about this and I was like, well, how would I find that other than listening to every episode? <laughs> because yeah, actually, I don't have a transcript. And I thought, well, the closest I could get was to see when we got the first feedback about it from a listener. Because you wanted to know if shenaniganery was a word. <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> and then go off of that date and then go like, okay, so let me search the last from that point forward. So I wouldn't be listening to everything, but I'd be still listening to quite a lot to find. And then even if I found the episode, well, where in it in right, the episode yeah. is it? Because so. our episodes started off relatively consumable and then they've kind of grown in length. Not intentionally. It just, I guess we got more deep into our topics or we got deeper topics. Yeah, sometimes you get those interviewers that are so fascinating that we're like, we're not going to stop. As long as this guy wants to inform us about that, like uh, Carter on the crypto episode a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It was a perfect example. Like, it was a two and a half hour long episode. And I loved every minute of it. It was amazing. Yeah. I learned so much from that. And uh, we could have got another hour or two, I think. But we had to, at some point, kind of close it off. I also recall our episode with Keith. We, um... We talked for another hour and a half after the episode was off. We just kept, kept talking. I was like, man, I wish we'd kind of kept the microphones on for that because we talked about some more cool stuff too. So it's not intentional that our episodes have drifted up, but we go where the topic is. And sometimes the topic demands more depth and demands more time. Mm -hmm. So we, we, I guess we both respect the topic more than the time. So if that bothers you listeners, apologies, but that's kind of, that's how we do things, right? We, we go, we go where the topic is. And in this case, the topic Took us to time. You know, I, I've had this thought also. We had problems in the most recent self. We had problems compiling the kernel on that very old version of Red Hat. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how we found the doc that told us what to do? Yeah, it was on TDLP, I think, was the site. That's right. The um, but yeah. it, it's funny. Okay, so, so that kind of just that's an inflection point for the conversation okay. because that then gets into the issue of. A kind of a, a thought I've been having, which is that there's a lot of data that's falling down the digital memory hole. And specifically, I think there's a, a window of time where this is happening. But looking at the length of this episode, I think we should put a pin in that Probably, and return yeah. to that later in another episode. Okay. That's, that's why. Instead that's of trying to good. cram it into this one. Yeah. So one thing we um, have it done. We also. While. I think you and I go in the same spot. Oh, go for it. Uh, do we have feedback? We do, actually. We have Excellent. feedback. So you remember us talking about the Upper River? What episode was Idiom? that? I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> it was a while if ago. If only we had content. Uh, but yes. you, you used the phrase 
uh, up a creek without a paddle. Right. And I explained that I didn't understand how that made any sense because it's a creek. You can just float your ass back down the river. And <laughs> you laughed just like yeah. that. <laughs> right. So we actually, we, we got an email um, from a guy, Ben. He wrote in. And this guy has a PhD in like languages and linguistics. Oh, excellent. Uber smart guy. I am incredibly curious how he found that <laughs> yeah, too. He, uh, he wrote in and said that he actually listened to it and was like, huh, I don't, I don't know the, the origin of that either. So he did a little bit of research and it actually comes from, uh, it's a prison in New York. What? Called the Sing Sing Prison, ah. which was literally up the river. So when you got sent up the river, it was you were going to jail. So okay, and then I guess from there it's getting sold up river is somebody narking on you or throwing you into the bus, and then you know you'd end up in prison. So this is like the kind of thing I don't know if you ever listened to NPR, but there's a show on Saturdays called Away with Words that I listen to sometimes, and they're they're just kind of exploring phrases like this and in, in the background of them. I just really love hearing these bizarre phrases. Usually from corners of the United States with comes locked in language or, or more isolated and they'll have bizarre phrases and these hosts will figure out the origin of this phrase. It's pretty mm -hmm. incredible. So, yeah, it's something that I found really interesting and he has done a lot of interesting work. I don't want to spoil one of his papers because I'm, I want to reach out to him and be like, Hey, this topic is actually kind of, uh, I don't know if apropos is the, the right turn of phrase, but it would actually be interesting when seeing if he would like to come on and talk about oh, I'd it. I'd love that. Yeah. A research paper that he did. So I'm waiting to hear back from him. Cool. Uh, maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe he's not into that kind of thing. Who knows? Maybe. But if he's not, I think it's actually still an interesting thing that we could talk about okay. on the show. Yeah. So that's going to be another episode. Cool. Uh, we also got a different uh, email in uh, asking us about decentralization because we have said we were going to talk about that okay. and we never have. Okay. He said, how come you guys haven't talked about it? It seems very linked with your Andy Yen episode. Uh, yes, we are. That is in the works. Mm -hmm. I am working on another interview about that very thing. But that person is waiting until there are some developments with what they work on to then be willing to kind of come out and talk about it and explain why they did what they did, how they did what they did and all that. So that's a that's another future episode that's coming. How mysterious. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Wow. And. And then uh, the last email we have for today was someone, and it's actually funny because this episode kind of bucked the trend. And he writes, uh, I noticed a variance in your approaches. When Jeff leads an episode, he usually starts out with a very simple premise and then asks JT for his input. And then after JT responds, Jeff then states what his thoughts are. However, when JT leads an episode, he usually talks for several minutes to explain things before asking Jeff for his thoughts. Is this intentional? And of course, this episode was actually, you did that different. Hmm, you're right, I did. You actually started for about a couple, and talked for a couple of minutes before opening, opening the floor. Well, just call me JT then. And I thought about it, and actually, he is right. Like, that is, that is kind right, of yeah. the, the pattern that we have. Hmm. Uh, so for, for myself, I can say the reason I usually lead with kind of a long opener is because I want to get Jeff into the frame of mind of how I'm looking at something so that we're both looking at the topic from the same angle. Because I know initially when, when Jeff and I started recording, there were like huge curveballs where like <laughs> he would ask me something with no context and I would be like answer because I thought that's the direction he was going. And then nope, he was going the other direction. <laughs> so I, I kind of try to set the stage now because that actually is important, especially when you're getting into kind of meaty topics. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, the best example that I can give for this is a math example, as a matter of fact. Really? Yes. I was told so there would be no math. Yeah, well, whoever told you that lie. <laughs> so if you think about a cylinder, let's like a, a soda can, okay, sitting on a table. If I say I want to have a conversation about the cross-section of a cylinder, well, what direction you take that cross-section at matters greatly. If you take a horizontal cross-section or a cross-section at an angle, you will have either a circle or an oval. However, if you take the cross-section vertically, you will have a rectangle. It's a cross-section, but yet a circle and a rectangle are two very different things. They are, yes. Yes. So depending on the perspective and how someone initially hears the idea and then thinks about it is going to change which way their brain goes. That's true. Like you're priming effectively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, if I wanted to talk about circles, we couldn't talk about rectangles in that case. But probably would if we're honest, we do talk about them and other shapes too. Yeah. If if there's something very specific about the circle that I wanted to talk about, the rectangle is not important. We can, we can hold off on that. So at least that's why I do it. Right. And uh, but then, Jeff, I guess the question for you is, why do you do it the other way, where you have a thought and then you just pitch it to me to see what I say with no context? Um, That's not wrong. No, no, it's, it's just, just my style, It's a I different guess. approach. So I think also when, when we're talking about what we want to talk about in an episode, I tend to give you more of the meat of what it is that I'm thinking of than you tend to give me. And, and situationally, obviously, it seems like you've expressed like you want to get my take on something. So you're going to withhold a question until we're actually talking face. Well, not face to face. And we're talking live. That's the right term. So a lot of times you have some of the context. And I guess I'm assuming that listeners just obviously know what's in my head and what's in your head. We don't need to actually say it. Right. So they're just, they're, they're oppression. They know everything. So there's no need to explain it. No, it's more along the lines of, I guess we just have different uh, collaboration styles. Frankly, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump in and I want to make sure that, uh, when I'm working on a thing or we're chewing on a topic together, we're, we're actually together that I'm not just like wandering down and I'm five miles down the trail away from JT. Who's going, where, where'd he go? You know, that's not, that's, that's kind of not how I do it. So I think I, I'm more apt to stop and, and double Whoa, check. Hold the phone. Are you saying you don't go off on tangents? Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying okay. when I go off on tangents, I try, and I don't always do this well. I try to stop and look back like, is he following me in this tangent? Sometimes you are, sometimes you see, uh, that's going to lead over a cliff. And you're like, let's, let's pull back from that. You seem to be the more prudent of the two of us. And I'm more like, Hey, let's go explore a topic. Let's go. So I guess for me, I, I'm, I'm more apt to, I, I guess I, w- I want your unvarnished opinion also. And if I, I know that if I say a lot of what's on my mind, I'm priming you. So I, we just have different approaches. And I think, uh, we, I don't know that it matters which direction we come from. We get really interesting topics either way, frankly. Um, but there, you're right. I have noticed there is a difference in if one, one of us is leading versus the other. I guess that's just the way we work. I don't have a better explanation for it than that. It's just a thing. That's an interesting observation. We have some smart listeners. Are you noticing this? We just had a PhD. We do. And someone who's like noticing the differences in how we lead episodes. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. Good job, listeners. Yeah, then we also have listeners that, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, everybody, there's always that listener right. out there. There's, there's no more crayons in the box for them to eat. Right. Well, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. There's, there's I'm, some. I'm thinking, okay. It, there, there, there are, I'm sure, you know, I'm not even going to say it. No, not all of our listeners are brilliant. None of them eat crayons. Well done. Well done. Some of them, though, are, are poignant. 
and uh, <laughs> upfront with their thoughts, which is fine. As we got, we have an email of one of those. I think this was a reply. Well, I say think, but I'm almost positive. This was a response to one of the things in our AMA episode. Okay. And he writes, I disagree. I do think JT is an asshole. And I have met him in real life. <laughs> also, <laughs> hold on, Jeff, I'm not done. Oh, okay. I'll save my left. Also, he's dot, 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 IDK, dot, dot, dot. The only way I know how to explain him is intense. It's like he's always turned up to 11. Yeah, and I like that. So it's like, it's like you're this very big, very powerful spotlight, and whatever it is, you're okay. Maybe to take this in a more humorous realm, you're the eye of Sauron. Whatever your eye stops on, it's just like, and it's you just focus on it, hyper focus, and it's really amazing what you can come up with. I felt that sometimes, but that, yeah, that's, that's kind of negative. Like the eye of Sauron also means that you're kind of evil. So, and I'm pretty sure you're not evil. So, a good eye of Sauron, like the good parts of Sauron, without the bad parts, maybe. Stretching a stretching a metaphor here way too far. Yeah, way too far. I would agree. I would agree with intense. People have told me that before many times. I'm yeah. used to people saying that. Uh, it's actually funny because there's been times where I'll be somewhere and someone will be talking. And like when I'm listening to somebody, like I'm all in on listening to mm-hmm. everything they're saying, how they're saying it, all the words they're choosing. And then I will ask a question based on something they've said. And it's almost like there's a mental like switch that goes off when they're like, oh, he was actually listening to me. Like he actually was listening to what I said. Oh, no. Now I need to stop and think about what did I just say? Did I reveal anything? Yeah, it's just it's it's kind of a funny thing to see because like you're having a conversation with someone and like I expect that they expect that I'm actually listening to them. Right. But then that that doesn't always happen. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I, their mind can be off on something else. They can be talking about something and their brain going in a different direction. And I pick up on something and I question them and they're like, wait, wait what? Huh? What's, what's going on here? I actually really like it when you do that. Because I, I, sometimes I'm just not even realizing I'm doing a thing and your, your perception is so strong that you're like, you're able to point out. You'll answer the question that I meant to ask, but didn't because my mind was drifting. You've done that many so times. I actually... I actually try really hard not to answer the question that someone didn't ask unless I'm also answering the question that they did ask. That's true. Because I hate when people do that to me. A lot of the times it's me questioning what someone said so I understand it properly. Like this actually happened to us uh, like last week or the week before last where we were having a conversation about something and you, you talked for like 30 seconds or whatever. And then I was like, okay, you feel blah, 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 blah. And you're like, Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I feel at all. No, I didn't mean that. Did it come out like that? Oh, no, I didn't mean that. No. Okay, let me re-explain. Right. So yeah. that happens as well. No, but I think that the strong perception skills is, is super useful. It's part of what brings the depth to our conversations, I think, and brings the depth to our topics. Without it, we wouldn't be able to go where we go. So it's kind of mandatory. So, yeah, it's very observant on listeners. and. They're not even, they don't have the benefit of the video. They just have our audio. But uh, yeah, yeah, like there's a, there's a lot of cues that we can kind of get looking at each other too. That helps quite a bit. And we had talked originally about at some point getting videos and actually posting videos of these things, but I don't know if we're any closer to that. Have the cost of non-potato cams come down yet? Do you know? Yes, they okay. have come down. Okay. Uh, yeah. The biggest problem is going to be, honestly, the editing. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. I, I already don't have much time, mm-hmm. and editing the video is going to be that's, a lot of extra that's time. That's a massive undertaking, yep. W- when you do video, 
like with audio, it's really easy to cut out when we need to cut out dead space. With video, you can't just like clip and done. You have to clip and then like change. Okay, it's not both people on screen. It's just one person on screen so that you can do cuts so that you can cover up when we have like a, a 30 second gap when I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase something. Or I say something, I go, no, 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 that's the, I said the wrong word and say the right word. Um, so those things make editing a little more time intensive. Yep, yep, you're right. So maybe it's it's still a desire, but it's uh, a desire that will not be realized in the immediate future. But it is on my mind. I need to have a more stable, like an actual studio something set of like you have you have a good space with some light and like a good setup for your recording. Me, I've, I've been moving around a bunch, so it's kind of like like right now my current setting. I, I think I'm mostly in silhouette because the lighting in my room is not set up very well. So that kind of stuff would need to be resolved too. But it is on my mind. I would like to do that someday soon. So the other thing to remember is my recording setup is very dependent on the weather. Oh, good point. Right. Because during the spring and summer, I can be in this office and it's fine. Mm -hmm. But then once winter hits, I'm not using this office anymore because right. it's below freezing. Mm -hmm. So then that would change. Yep, that's true. That's true. So, so we have some challenges to overcome before we're able to do video, but uh, we'll keep going with the audio. Mm -hmm. Is there any closing thoughts or something that uh, you meant to address earlier that you didn't get in like that? Some like a final jab, like that was a really dumb idea or something like that. I'm giving you an opening here. Um, no, not to anything you said. Okay. Just, yeah, I think we should return back to the data deletion mm -hmm. thing. Yes. And, uh, you know, because apparently there's somebody out there who does think I'm an asshole. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe we should do an episode specifically about why I'm not an asshole. <laughs> We'll make that kind of a behind the scenes thing. How about that? <laughs> I don't know that we could fill an episode with that, frankly. I think it'd be a very short discussion. Mm, no, I don't think so. I think it actually could be an interesting conversation. If you want to have it, a I, game. I think it would be interesting to explain to people some of the behavioral characteristics that I have and why. Okay. Yeah, actually, that would be pretty interesting. And I'd probably do the same. Although I don't think. Like, I'm for instance, on the intensity thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a lot easier for people to comprehend if it was explained out a little more. Maybe. Right, yeah, we'll let's know. see if, if the if the masses clamor for it, we will provide. How about that? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds like a good place to wrap up here. We had some good feedback. Good episode. And uh, there's lots of ways to reach out to us. We've got people emailing in all the time, it seems like. Thank you for your feedback. Email JT at Media. If you want to reach him directly, there's also ways to contact us on Fireside. Uh, there's Twitter accounts, and I'm sure that someone could somehow find where we live and, and send a letter if they really wanted to, but please don't actually go look for that, because JT lives in the wilderness, and mail service doesn't always work. He's got some stories yeah. about that. And sometimes the bears get in the way. Right, the bears did eat the last mailman. That was very unfortunate. Have they replaced him yet? Uh, I don't know, because I haven't seen him in a while, because <laughs> my mailbox is like a quarter mile from where my house is. So there's, there's, there's like that. Right. Right. Maybe you need to live a little less wilderness, but you know, nah, nah. I need to live more wilderness. You're good. You're good where you are. Well, anyway, excellent, excellent time. Thanks for listening. And I guess we'll close with our standard closing of be excellent to each other. 